Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Great to be in the house of God. Man, I felt the spirit of joy last night as I was getting ready to talk today. And As much as there's been a lot of weight on us the last couple of weeks, my heart has been set on leading us through this in a way that really points us to God. So this morning, wherever you are, if you have your Bible, if you have your uh, uh, notepad, or you're going to be taking notes on a, on a phone or typing something out, uh, today's going to be good. I'm going to be talking about some specific things that really relate to where we are right now in our culture and where we are in our nation. Very important times. And um, But before we do that, I wanted to give you a quick little announcement. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as they're getting me set up here. Acts 2, 42. We see in the New Testament, thank you so much, Jess. Acts 2, 42, we see in Scripture that the church began with this explosive Holy Spirit, I guess you could say, uh, outpouring onto the people of God. Jesus had resurrected. He was now giving the disciples the go-ahead to move forward. And here they were, filled with the Holy Spirit, waiting for him to to pour out onto their lives. And when they went out and began to do the work of God, proclaim the gospel, what you saw was thousands of people get saved. People who spoke different languages. I spoke on this last week from different languages. All different types of people, different backgrounds, all coming together, speaking the same language. Different cultural beliefs, different political beliefs, different religious beliefs. You want to talk about a mess. God unified a mess. And right now our nation's in a mess. And God is going to unify his church first. I believe that more than anything. And one of the ways that we're going to do that and we're going to do our part is to look to the scripture and say, how do we start gathering again with everything that's gone on with the coronavirus and all the challenges that we're facing, how do we as a church start to gather? We can't do large gatherings right now, obviously. Um, we're still working through ways in which we could do that. One of the reasons we couldn't, <clears throat> excuse me, we couldn't do that is because uh, our building isn't, isn't set up to do that. We couldn't space everybody out and just go back to normal the way things were. Uh, it we don't have the logistics or the space or the size to be able to do that. So what we've come up with is an alternative plan. And uh, to tell you a little bit about that, uh, my lovely wife, Janelle, is going to come up here. You guys know her. And she's going to tell us a little bit about something called house parties that are starting very soon. Awesome. Hey, church fam, miss you so much. We're so excited as we've been planning and preparing for how Grace Avenue Church can gather again. We came up with something called house parties. And as Daniel mentioned, um, Acts 2, 42, it talks about the early church and how that church began and the explosion that came out of the homes that were gathering at that time. And so we've decided that we're going to um, model that in our church and gather together in smaller gatherings in homes all across San Antonio um, beginning June. 21st for four weeks. That is going to be our first stage of gathering together again. And so in homes all over San Antonio, we're going to gather at 1030 in the morning. We're going to watch um, service that will be online still, um, eat together, pray together, take communion together, and really just 
fellowship. Um, that's an old Bible word, but what it means is um, a unifying together by the Holy Spirit, something special that the Holy Spirit does only in gatherings of believers where he actually cements us together, knits our hearts together. We're going to be partaking of that again and just gathering and um, just kind of dipping our big toe into getting together again. And it's going to be a safe way. It's going to be a small way. It's going to be a way that we can do this sooner. And if you are not feeling ready to be around people yet, if you are still feeling like you need to stay home, that is totally fine because church online will still be happening just as it has been. You can still watch service. And for those of you that are ready, we know some of you have already been out and about and already hanging out with friends. This is the next step for you. And so we would love to have these all over um, San Antonio. We would love for you to open your home for a house party. And if you would like to do that, you can just go to our website um, at Grace Avenue Church and um, look for that house party tab. And there is a way to apply to open your home and to get more information. And we hope you'll do that today. We're really excited about this next phase. We think it's the right thing in this season. Awesome. Thank you, Janelle. So they can go to the website as of when? Today. Today you can go to the website. All the information will be there. You can start to log on, get all the details. Uh, but again, that's starting on the 21st, so that's a couple of weeks from now. And again, this is our way of kind of moving slowly into homes uh, to begin to focus on uh, things that are very important to us as the church. I'll talk about that over the next couple of weeks, over the next two Sundays. So let me jump into the Word this morning. I have, uh, I guess you would say, a lot to say. I don't know if this is so much a sermon as it is a lot of what's in my heart and a lot that I feel our church needs to hear and a lot that I feel is very important just for uh, where we are, what we've been facing, what we're looking forward to, and uh, maybe hopefully answering some of the questions that you have in regard to just everything that we're facing, everything that we're dealing with. So let me start with Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7. It says this, wisdom Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Saying wisdom is the principal thing. And another translation says it's the, the primary thing. So get wisdom. Okay? Uh, and then it says in all of your getting. In other words, in everything that you're going for. Out of everything that you're going for in life. Make the effort. To get understanding. Not just information, but understanding. Uh, that word, the principal thing, uh, that's defined also as the primary thing or the, su- the supreme thing is another translation. The supreme thing is defined in the scripture, when we look at the original language, as the first, the highest, the foremost in importance, the highest in rank, worth, or degree. The chief thing. So what God is telling us through his word in this verse is that out of everything you can get, the most important and the highest rank of something that you could get is wisdom. Are you following me this morning? Wisdom is important. Go back a couple of verses in in verse uh, 5. It says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. This is God speaking to us. Don't, don't turn away from the wisdom of my word. Don't turn away from the wisdom of my mouth. Now, what do we do when we want some wisdom? Uh, let's say in regard to a particular online purchase that we want to make, like let's say Amazon. 
You go to Amazon and you're looking at something that you want to purchase. What's the first thing you do? You go to the reviews. Uh, obviously, you look at the price, but then if you are going to hit the, hit the button because you know you want to buy it, or you go to target.com or whatever.com that you go to to find the, the purchase that you want to make, the first thing you do is you go to the reviews. And what you get from the reviews is a first-hand account of individuals who actually made a purchase. People who have spent their money on something and now have a personal experience with the product that they purchased. And what we do as consumers and shoppers is we extract the wisdom and the experience from those who've had a first-hand account of the purchase that they've made. And within those reviews, as you look at them, uh, you'll, you'll see a whole wide range of opinions, comments, thoughts, um, reviews. Lots of commentary. This person thinks it's amazing. This person thinks it's the worst thing in the world. And you'll see all kinds of diverse explanations on why they think it's amazing or why they think it's not amazing. And what you find at the bottom is one-star reviews and some two-star reviews. But you find one-star reviews, and in those one-star and two-star reviews, there are people who are informative with very helpful, uh, clarifying specifics and details on why they're rating the product one star or two stars. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but the first thing I look, about, look at on purchases is one-star reviews. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care how much people have said it's good. The first thing I'm looking for is why is it bad and why have, why have people said it's bad and what's going on and why. And there are a ton of those. There's usually whatever purchase you make, there's a ton of one-star and two-star reviews. And then you take those seriously, obviously, and then you purchase a product based on the collective information that you've gathered uh, from the collective ob opinions and information of people who say that they've had an experience with this product. Now, we understand that. We understand that. We don't have to spend a whole bunch of money and guess what the product's going to be when we can just go to the reviews and say, that tell us. We can go to the reviews that tell us what's going on. We understand that. When it comes to race, when it comes to a lot of the discussions that we're having right now in church, in churches, in cities, in city, city meetings, at a political level, and across our nation, when it comes to race, and specifically at this time, many black Americans, many at this stage are saying, let me tell you my experience. Let me tell you the experience, for, for lack of a better word, with this product called America. And let me tell you what my personal viewpoint is, not based on an opinion, based on my experience. And we have some that are saying that at this time in America, it's a one-star review on particular aspects in America. They're not saying all America is bad. They're saying in this particular area of their life and how they're living life and what they're experiencing, 
and we know all the, all the discussions at this point of what those, those issues are surrounding. That's the political side of this. I'm trying to get to the biblical side of this and how we respond to this. Many are saying one-star review. Some are saying I would give it a zero-star review if I could. We, we've seen that comment on Amazon.com. I would give this zero stars if I could. It's that bad. There are people in our nation who are saying this right now. Now, what's our response? Because we don't just discount one-star reviews. Obviously, in a one-star review on a product, you'll see somebody will, will just blow off some steam and they'll say something that's very unhelpful and critical and they don't give you any information as to why or what their experience was. And so they don't help the process of making an informed decision on a purchase. Someone will just say, worst product in the entire world, period. And then they'll ask you under that review, was that helpful or unhelpful? And most people will put the thumbs down and say, well, that was very unhelpful because we don't know why. We don't know what to change. We don't know what was wrong with the product. We don't know if we purchase it, why you gave it a one-star review. All we know is that that you're angry on the one-star review and you didn't tell us why. But then there are those who are the one-star reviews that will be very detailed as to why. And those, at least for me, are the reviews that I read and say, okay, hang on. I understand where they're coming from. And personally, I don't want that problem either. So I may or may not purchase that product. And this is what's going on. Because our collective decision together as a society, but most importantly, as the church of Jesus Christ, and even more fine-tuned to that, how Grace Avenue Church is walking out this season in our society and and how we move forward. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. And what I'm saying is that our church has to get on the same page. The church across the board has to get on the same page. But I I don't speak into every church. I speak to Grace Avenue Church. And as the pastor of Grace Avenue Church, I see that people are feeling right now that there are some one-star review aspects of society. And that's not something I can ignore and just move on to another church or ask someone to move on to another church and just say, the product's just fine. Take it as it is. As a pastor, I'm here for people. All people. Saved and unsaved. Lost and found. Whatever background... When people walk in the doors of Grace Avenue Church, I don't greet them in the name of America. I don't greet them in the name of their politics. I don't greet them in the name of their past. I greet them in the precious name of Jesus. I greet them in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loves them. And anyone who ever walks through one of our locations, the doors of our locations, that's how we greet people. We don't size people up on their color, their background, their past, their history, the mistakes they've made yesterday or 10 years ago. We look at people and we say, we love you and we're here for you. And what I'm saying is that we need the wisdom of God right now. We need the wisdom of God because the wisdom of man has not gotten us very far when it comes to a lot of the conversations that are taking place. And I believe with all my heart that the scriptures have the answers. I believe that the gospel is the answer. I believe that Jesus is the answer. I believe that the New Testament shows us what happens when communities come together under the banner of love in the name of Jesus 
I'm not saying it's easy because the New Testament is messy. Trust me, it's messy. We know that there are different cultures and different beliefs and different challenges. And the Apostle Paul, through every city that he's going to, is helping people come back to the central thing. The central thing. The central thing that Jesus did. And what he calls us to. And he even tells them that some of the cultural, religious, and political beliefs that they've had now need to be laid down for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, you want to talk about offensive, and you want to talk about messy. Start telling people that they need to change the way they think. Start telling people that they need to change the way they believe. We'll all get into a fight if we start telling each other that. But if we start saying it's for the sake of Jesus Christ and what he's called us to, then it's not us that we're serving or ourselves that we're serving. It's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom of God, the wisdom from above, is first this. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Think about that. Some of the rhetoric that we're hearing today on comment boards, on feeds, on television, is the complete opposite of the wisdom of God. What we're hearing a lot of today is the wisdom of man. That's argumentative and finger-pointing and blaming and hateful and aggressive and unintentional about understanding or listening. But look, Scripture tells us the wisdom of God that's from above is first pure doesn't mean it's weak, but it means it's pure. It doesn't mean it doesn't take a stand for righteousness, but it means that it's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. Let me say this again. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. In other words, it's genuine. The wisdom that we get from the Word of God should produce a genuine, sincere, impartial, full of mercy, open to reason, gentle, peaceable, pure response. Because it's not our response, it's the wisdom from God. It's the wisdom from above. Tensions are high right now, which is even more why we need the wisdom from God. Why we need the wisdom from God above. There's a man named Nehemiah, and um, I won't have the, all this passage on here, nor the points I'm going to share, because this is kind of a separate message in itself that I just threw in here. Because I wanted to just give you some insight into what I believe can happen when God's people pray, when God's people come together, and when God's people work together for revival and renewal in a city. And specifically in a nation. It's the book of Nehemiah. If you don't know who Nehemiah is, Nehemiah, there's a, uh, there's a whole chat, a whole book about him. But I'm just going to highlight in some verses here. Uh, starting in verse 3. I think this is Nehemiah 1. It might be chapter 2. I believe it's Nehemiah 1. It says, The remnant there in the province that survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is how many of you feel right now looking at America. You see the looting. You see the burning of businesses. You see the killing of police officers. You're hurting for our nation. I hear you. 
I hear your heart and I hear your pain. This is troubling. We see cities on fire. Nehemiah saw this. Nehemiah's first response was to weep, like many of us have, and to pray and to fast. To seek God before pointing fingers. To seek God before coming up with an answer. To seek God before jumping into action. And look what he says here. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the laws, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Whenever God brings you back somewhere, he wants his name to dwell there. Whenever God brings you back from destruction, he wants his name to dwell in that place in your life. Whenever God brings you back from depression, he wants his name to dwell in that place. Whenever God brings you back from suicide, he wants his name to dwell over that place in your life. He goes on to say, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of of this man. Now listen to what he says here because this tells you everything. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Who was Nehemiah? He was a man in a very comfortable place. He had been exiled, people had been scattered, and Nehemiah has a pretty cush job working for a foreign king in a palace as a servant. And Nehemiah has the choice to say, I'm going to stay in this nice, cush place that's amazing, where I'm serving the king, where I've got a salary, where I've got a roof over my head, where things are going okay. Or he can respond to the holy burden he senses as he looks to his people, as he looks to the nation, as he looks back at the city that's on fire, and he says, I can possibly do something about it. But it's going to mean he has to take stock first of himself and his position and ask himself, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about what I see? What am I going to feel? If it was a television news station, he could have turned it off and say, well, God used to have me there, but I'm not there anymore, and uh, may God be with those people. Bless them, God. Open a door for them. Give them favor. But no, Nehemiah decided he wanted to be part of the revival and the renewal and the change that would take place. But he knew it started with him. He knew it started in his own heart. He knew it started with his own hands. He knew it started in his own place and his own position that he was at in life. What you read here is one of the most heartfelt, passionate, selfless prayers 
uh, that you ever read in the Bible. It's a man with a secure job in a palace. And he's in a great place, serving a king. But instead of spending his life in prosperity and security, he's moved with what I like to call a holy burden. A burden that, that, that is a weight on him. A burden that just doesn't go away with a good night's sleep. A burden that we, he wakes up with in the morning. See, Nehemiah spent the next four months praying and fasting. Look, we've been in this coronavirus thing for about three months. We've been in this um, crazy outbreak of, of uh, looting and violence. And then we've got people trying to protest peacefully. And then we've got cops trying to do their best to keep order. And then we've got people fighting the cops. And then we've got you know, great cops. And then we've got bad cops. And then we've got great protesters. And then bad po- protesters. And we've got people on the fringes. And then we have people who don't know where they stand and who, who's doing what or what to do. And we've just been at that for about two weeks. But here Nehemiah had been praying for four months about the burden that he saw. You've been looking at stuff for a couple of weeks. Nehemiah's heard the news of his city broken down and torn down. And he's been living with this four months. Four months of emotional, spiritual, and mental weight. Weighing on him. Forcing him to a place of prayer and fasting to decide what his place is going to be in all this. What he's going to do. So God shows us through Nehemiah that we can have a heart for a city. For us, that's the city of San Antonio. From wherever you're watching from, that's the city that you live in. You can have a heart to see your city. See revival. See renewal. See something built. The whole story of Nehemiah in those next few chapters is that Nehemiah goes on, rallies the people, and something that could not be built in 141 years it's built in 52 days. The people of God rally together and unite in the name of unity to establish worship, to establish God as king, to bring down idols, to bring back commerce, to bring back love, to bring back community. Because one man got a holy burden and didn't sit in his job and just flick the news station and say, that's really sad. I hope somebody can do something about that. Nehemiah chose to allow that burden to affect him. So let me tell you some of the things that it starts with. Here, Nehemiah, first thing. Nehemiah repented on behalf of a nation for the collective sin of a people. I want you to think about that for a second. Because some of you uh, are probably going to get offended at this. And just bear with me. Nehemiah repents. For the, on behalf of the nation, for the collective sin of a people. Now, in Western culture, as Americans, um, we don't take responsibility for collective sin. We take responsibility for individual sin. Because the first thing that t- tends to come to our mind when we see a problem in our nation is we say, well, that's not my problem. I didn't do that. I, I didn't hurt anybody. I, I, I don't have anything to do with that. So we have a fatherless problem in America. We've had a fatherless problem in America for a long time. But we say, well, it's not my problem. We don't have a lot of great leaders in our nation. We really don't. We just elevate celebrities. And then whatever they say, we say, oh, well, they're a leader. 
until they fail miserably. And then we're like, oh, get that guy out of here. He's trash. Cancel him. Get somebody else. We don't have leaders. We don't have leaders who stand in the fire. We don't have leaders who will pray for us. We don't have solid fathers in the nation. They're minimized because we worship celebrity. So whenever something happens, we're like, that's not my problem. Leadership, that's not my problem. I I lead my family. I lead my job. What's what's wrong with me? But we see this over and over as the theme in the Bible. Daniel repented on behalf of the nation. Ezra repented on behalf of the nation. Paul addresses in Romans 5 the sin of Adam and Eve and the collective um, weight that that put on the people. And now how we're responsible for what was in Adam. Which means that if there's no collective repentance, there's no gospel. Because we could say, well, that was Adam's sin. I didn't have anything to do with that. Man, I've never done anything that would cause any harm. Well, then we don't need Jesus. We don't need the gospel. There is no message. There's no need for a crucifixion. There's no need for a resurrection. We basically stand on our own good merit. Now, for some of us, this may be hard to hear. Because again, in Western culture, we don't think this way. We think individualized. But in Eastern culture, you'll recognize it's very common for people to think, uh, you know, you cause shame or honor to the family. And so if you've, you've had a little bit more experience outside of the, the boundaries of America, you'll see that there's a lot of beliefs that people could read this and say, oh, I get that. Of course he repented on behalf of the nation. He, he has a part to do with it. Uh, even in Scripture, uh, when Achan, when Joshua was with Achan, and Achan committed this sin uh, where he uh, stole some stuff. God had said, you know, don't take anything. But Achan stole some stuff, hid it under his tent, And then Achan repents, and what does God do? God was hardcore. He wipes out not only Achan, but his family, his sons, his sheep, his cattle, his donkeys. Now, for us, we look at that and we go, oh, my God, God is harsh. That's how God dealt with things. And the rest of the world outside of America pretty much understands that. (laughs) It's us that individualize our lives so much that we don't take responsibility for our neighbor. It's not our problem. How many times have you heard that from people in your life when somebody's going through their stuff? Oh, it's not my problem. Well, we've all got our problems. And in some way, distance themselves from any type of responsibility. Come on, we see this in in 2 Chronicles. What does God say? If my people, not if that one person will repent. No, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll hear their land. Okay, so Nehemiah repents on behalf of the people, confesses the sin of the people. Second, God brought revival and renewal to the city. These, these won't be on the screen, so I'm just bringing these in. He brings revival and renewal to the city. The ruins, the city that was on fire, it was... There was no worship. There was no commerce. There was no community. It was brokenness. Just think of some of the riots right now that have taken place. And imagine the condition of the city. It had been like that for decades and decades and decades. There's hopelessness. There's no commerce. There's no worship. But the ruins were rebuilt. And all the people who were part of those ruins did their part to rebuild with Nehemiah. If you read the story of Nehemiah, it says everybody 
was working. Some, it says, had to have a sword in hand and a trowel in the other. It's a trowel, you know, for, for the bricks, for the mortar, for, for making a wall. They rebuilt the walls. They had to defend themselves to be able to do this because there were people, troublemakers, who were coming in trying to stir up trouble to keep division. One of the smartest things the church can do right now is know the spiritual sword of the Word of God to how to defend against divisiveness and people who are trying to make a politician, a news station, a political party as the answer for something that God says, I'm the only answer. I am the answer. Now, I promise you this is not going to be a popular statement, and that's why you don't hear it. We'd have a lot of, we have people wanting to have a lot of gentle conversations, to tiptoe around a lot of things, to not bring God into the conversation. But for Christians, we understand without the gospel, without the Holy Spirit's intervention to unify people, without an outpouring of his spirit to heal brokenness, to heal hatred, to heal uh, animosity, to heal fear from people who don't know what to say or don't understand, we don't have a chance. You can't socialize, uh, structure uh, social feelings about things. God has to come in and heal. There has to be understanding. And for many of us, there's no way that's going to happen without God. I talked about that more last week. Three, they ignored the detractors. The people had to work together to build and ignore the detractors and the troublemakers. And they had to stay focused on the mission and the vision to rebuild. To establish stability, security, and to institute worship. Fourthly, it took everybody to get their hands dirty. It says every single person. They were taking shifts around the clock to build what was broken. That's how committed the people were together. Friends, that should be a picture of Grace Avenue Church. That should be a picture of the people of God across this nation. Not pointing fingers, but working around the clock together to say, how do we rebuild what's broken? How do we put aside differences to see God intervene and build something so that lives are reestablished, so that commerce comes to the city, so that worship comes to the city, so that the gates and the walls are reestablished so that enemies can't get in and people can't tear us apart? What I'm saying is it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. It's not just going to take who you vote into office. It's not just going to take who's in the city council. It's not just going to take one pastor that has a lot of followers on Instagram that says what he says. It's going to take all of us. Every single one of us is part of this. And I think part of the hindrance of that is right now the idols that we have in our nation. This is the other part where it gets offensive. Some of the idols that I believe that we have in our nation, not, not, in, our heart, uh, not, not, not in statues, but in our hearts now. They're not uh, statues that we've carved. It's not golden calves. It's not a wood statue, but it's an idol in the heart that says, I'm right, and I have nothing to learn. I'm right, and I don't need to listen to anybody else. And we pick political pundits and celebrities and websites, and we tell everybody to rally around this information but we don't have conversation. And when we do that, we're part of the problem. In the summer of 2017, um, my wife was in ICU and my baby was in another hospital 
in, in ICU. And things were going really bad. For those of you who don't know the story, maybe you're tuning in to our church in this last season. Uh, things were really, really bad. I didn't know if either one of us was going was gonna to make it. And for about four days into from the time the baby was born and they went to different hospitals, I'd had about eight hours sleep total in about four days. I hadn't eaten much. My, my, the back of my head and my neck was numb. I could hardly see. I was exhausted. I was dizzy. I was having to hold on to things when I get out of the car. Uh, I don't know why I was driving myself back and forth at that time. But I was a mess. And um, at, at this time, the story starts going viral. Uh, the news stations picked up. It went national. It went international. And all of a sudden, my social media is getting flooded with complete strangers but lots of comments, just bam, bam, bam. I mean, you can't even refresh fast enough to keep up with the hundreds of thousands of views that each station in America is showing the story, or each, I'm sorry, not, uh, some stations, but some uh, social media feeds. I can't keep up with the comments, and everybody's just rallying behind me. We're praying for you. We're, we're going to see this through. God's going to do a miracle. And here's the thing. Nobody asked me what I believe politically. Nobody asked me uh, what my doctrinal beliefs were. (laughs) Everybody rallied behind the pain that I was experiencing and just said, we're with you. I love you. And your pain is my pain. And let's see God do a miracle. That's what most of the comments were. But then a couple of other comments came in. One of them was this. A guy said, it's truly sad about the pastor and his wife and baby, I hope they make it. But the truth is, if we're really honest, our taxes are probably paying for all of this as Americans. And this pastor is going to get away scot-free with all kinds of benefits on our dime. I want you to know I read that in the worst pain, in the worst moment of my life, I want to tell you how it felt. It felt humiliating. It felt isolated. It felt horrible. And it stirred a rage in me. And I unleashed on this guy like I shouldn't have. So much so that because the guy's comment comment was getting tons of likes. I I had to assume, uh, where did this guy who's never even met me before, has never sat and had a cup of coffee with me, never had a meal with me, never talked to me, didn't look at my Facebook. He just saw my last name and said, oh, he's an illegal alien. He just swam across the river, came to take all my stuff. And I had to sit there and process forgiveness. It did take a while. I'll be honest with you. But I was, I lit into him and responded so much so that Pastor Brandon Stewart, who you guys know is a great friend of ours, I think he saw my response and was calling me saying, Daniel, get off the comment boards. You need to get away. Quit looking at the internet. You need to just focus on your family. You don't need that weight right now. And he was right. But, but the truth is, I'm trying to give you my Amazon review of my one-star experience when people started speaking to me who don't know me who don't understand me, don't understand what I'm going through. People who are only thinking about what it costs them, not really what I'm going through. How sad, I thought about this, how sad that my first response to him was to defend myself. 
Instead of focusing on my wife and my child and just receiving the prayers and the Holy Spirit filling that was happening, my, my, my first response was to jump into defense mode and defend myself and defend my character and defend how long I've been in the country and defend how I've worked all my life and defend that I've been serving God for 20 plus years and how sad. That, that I couldn't just even sit in my own pain and experience what I'm going through and ask God for an answer and ask God for help. I had to defend myself from people who were accusatory, minimizing my pain. Politics and personal opinions had no place in that feed. All I was asking for was prayer. And politics and personal opinions bring no value to hurting people. Hurting police officers, hurting black community, hurting people in all places in this whole mess that we're in. We have to come to the table and it's going to take all of us. We can't sit around pointing the fingers, listening to people speak for us when God has already spoken for us. Ecclesiastes 7, 8 through 10. Here's the hope in all this. Here's the hope. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Don't say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. I want you to think about that last verse I'm reading there. Because a lot of us may right now, even if we're older, that's a temptation. I'm a little older than, than maybe some in our congregation. And so here's the temptation. Man, the old days were a lot better than they are right now. But the truth is, they're not. When, when Jesus was crucified, there was murder. The Roman Empire was was pounding people and killing people. There was violence. There was hatred. There were sects of religions. There was violence between religious people and cultural beliefs and political beliefs. But guys, this isn't new. What we're seeing in our nation is the heart of man without God and a nation that is not crying out to God. And the temptation right now is to say, why were the old days better than these? And what that does is it denies the power the sovereignty of the miracle-working God that we serve. It says, oh, well, he was involved then, but he's not really involved now. He can't do anything right now. Yeah, what he did, he did back in the day. No, God is alive and well just as much now as he was then and as he will be in the future. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the Alpha and he's the Omega. He's the beginning and he is the end. Right now, we're somewhere in the middle. Maybe towards the latter part of the end. In the latter days. Because it's messy. But what we're seeing on our streets and in our nation, it's in our Bibles. It's prophesied. Things are supposed to get tough. We can't shield our kids away from this. We've got to show them God is the answer. And we've got to tell them it's going to take all of us to do this. Three commitments that I'm making right now in the midst of all this turmoil. It's heavy. 
I don't want to live on social media. I don't want to live attacked from people. I don't want to live discouraged. I don't want to live judged or speaking truth. I'm having to make commitments to myself right now. Here they are. I want you to make these two, church, three commitments. Number one, I will keep my joy. I will keep my joy. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. May he fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. You don't get joy and peace by trusting in something other than God. You get temporary happiness. You get distraction. You get entertainment. You get relief. You get a vacation. You get joy and peace from the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I know you're hurting and I know you need hope. But it's not going to come through any other way but by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in a battle. The enemy wants our nation. The enemy wants our churches. The enemy wants humanity. The enemy wants hatred. And we've got to be smarter than that. We serve the kingdom of God. And we need to come to the table ready to understand and learn what's really going on here. And get information from people that's not twisted by some political agenda or social agenda or demonic satanic agenda. We need the righteousness of God working in and through our church right now. And in and through our city and our nation. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with what? Hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because if you lose hope, you lose everything. Church, you can't lose hope. You cannot lose hope in this season. Wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, whatever, quote, side that you're on, you cannot lose hope. You got to come to the table. The table of the Lord. And then the table with people. And we've got to rebuild. It's going to take all of us. Number two. I'm going to keep pursuing the wisdom of God. I'm going to keep pursuing the wisdom of God. I've studied a lot about civil rights. Ever since I was a kid. I don't know why it hit me when I was so young. But some of the pictures that I saw when I was so young wrecked me and just turned my attention to going and seeking out information to try to understand the pain that I saw in humanity and why people were doing the things that they were doing and why people hated each other and why the Holocaust and why, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was a kid playing basketball, playing video games, having fun. I wasn't, you know, like a a crusader for righteousness through my teenage years. I was, but when I was drawn to the things that are important the things that matter. I, I was drawn to hurting people and, and hearing them. And, and here's the sad reality of what we're dealing with right now. Some of the things that I was studying in the early 90s that came from the early 60s are still some of the same questions and challenges that we have today. Yes, times have changed. Yes, things are different. But some things have not changed and some things are not different. I won't go into details, but I heard a speech last night by a prominent civil rights leader from the 60s. 
And I could swear to you that you could take that exact speech from 1964 and place it right into 2020 and it would make every bit of sense to you now than it did then. Or then that it did now, that it does now. See, there are some problems that don't go away without God. Band-aids don't work. Law is not enough. You You can change behavior, but you can't change hearts. God has to change hearts. And what, what happens, it's like, it's like liquid. If you squeeze it, it, it shoots out the sides of your hand. It's like toothpaste or, or something in your hand just goes out the sides. We don't want to squeeze behavior and not see the heart of mankind change. Guys, we've got to have a bigger picture than just what we're talking about in politics. We need the hearts of people changed. We need hatred eradicated. We need violence eradicated. We need viewpoints that are unhealthy, eradicated. And only God can do that. I can't do that. My sermon can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit of God. And his sovereign hand in people can take the worst of sinners like the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, and hit him on the Damascus road and change his life forever and utilize him to change people's lives. So much so that people question his character. Isn't this the man Saul who used to go about in the houses threatening murderous threats that he would kill women and children and send people to jail if they were following following Jesus? Yes, that's the same man. Okay, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul, who's now Paul, and I want you to be a light to him and serve him. Ananias was sent to Saul, who was turned to Paul, and Paul became the man who writes our New Testament. Two-thirds of our New Testament. A man who was looting, plundering, and pillaging people because they were following Jesus. And he became the saving grace as an apostle of our faith. Friends, we need the wisdom of God. I believe the Bible has our answers. I believe God has our answers. I believe prayer is the answer. I believe conversation is the answer. I believe endurance and doing the hard work that it takes to understand one another. The hard work. It's going to take forgiveness and time. I'm not saying this is going to happen tomorrow, but that should be our goal. And we need the wisdom of God. Remember, the wisdom of God is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And lastly, my third commitment right now is to keep my heart right before God. Every night when I'm going to bed, I'm having to offload a lot of stuff that I've heard, a lot of stuff that I feel, a lot of stuff that I've said, a lot of stuff that I think, a lot of reactions that I've had that have bubbled up in me. I'm having to work to keep my heart right before the Lord. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, more than anything, guard your heart, for out of it flows everything that you do. Out of it flow the issues of life. Another translation says, For it is the wellspring of life. It springs with life, whatever is in your heart and whatever is in your spirit. We got to guard our heart. We need the wisdom of God. And we need to keep our joy. I want to pray for us as a church this morning that we would see it's going to take all of us. That like 
Nehemiah. We have to gather that holy burden and hear what's going on with a desire to bring revival and renewal to a city. Likes on a social media viewpoint on our, our Facebook or social media doesn't change people's hearts. It gets affirmation from people. But guys, we got to be bigger and think bigger. It's going to take all of us. Keep your joy. Keep pursuing the wisdom of God. Keep guarding your heart. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. We are your people. Help us see, God, like Nehemiah, where we need to repent, where our sin is in all of this. Where have we not contributed? Where have we not listened? Where have we not cared about the state of our nation, about what's going on between people? Where have we been fearful of getting involved? Where have we not wanted to dip our toe in the water? Where have we held on to opinions that are wrong? Where have we held on to judgments and accusations? Where have we worshipped the idol of mass media news stations and valued what they say more than what your word says? God, forgive us as a nation for worshipping the idol of mass media. Forgive us for believing that man has the answer when you've told us you have the answer. God, help us to be humble in our approach, to hear the hearts of anyone and everyone who's going through this, to work through issues. But God, remove the idolatry of social media and news and celebrity and people being the answer that we need. Let us look to you, God, and turn our hearts towards you. God, would you heal our land, heal our cities, heal our church heal the the people of Grace Avenue Church do a mighty work God by the power of the Holy Spirit Lord God eradicate hatred right now remove fear fill people with joy and peace and hope right now by the power of the Holy Spirit Lord God saturate your people with the peace of God and with righteousness and joy For those of you who are in a situation right now where you need to make things right with God, that's why I'm here this morning. A relationship with God is something that you have to be intentional about. And this morning, maybe it's time for you to cross over and do an intentional relationship with God. Not just the belief that he's real, not just an awareness of him, not just a knowing that he's in your life, but a commitment to say, Jesus, I will follow you. I will pick up my cross. I will trust you with my life. I surrender my life and my heart to you. If that's you this morning and you want to make that decision, today's a good day to do it. Our nation needs people with a holy burden from God to see healing come to our land. 
If you want to make that decision today, just say this quietly to yourself there. Wherever you are, in your car, in your room, watching on your phone or your tablet or your, your television, just say this with me. Say, God, forgive me of my sin. Save me right now. Make me a new creation. Fill me with passion and purpose to live for you. Save me, Lord God. I receive your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you said that prayer right now, God receives you. God receives you right now. Where you are, where you're at, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you've been through, God receives you right now. That's the grace of God. That's what we call the grace of Jesus. If you made that prayer real in your own heart, in your own mouth right now, then here's, here's what I ask you to do. I'd ask you to write just there in the comments. If you can, maybe you're watching on television and you can't, but please contact us if you, if you can. And write in the comments and just say, I was saved today. I was saved today. If you do that, one of our team from our church is going to reach out to you and pray for you. And we're going to believe God's best for you in this season. We love you. Church, house parties are starting. Details can be found on the website. We're going to push through this. In the next couple of weeks, we'll start gathering in homes. Again, you can find those details. Make sure you sign up for one. We love you. God bless you. Have an incredible week. If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.